Hi, and welcome to a new episode of Skills for Mars. Today, we will see the world of work through the eyes of the world's first industrial philosopher, Cristina Di Giacomo. Following a successful corporate career, Cristina spent over 10 years studying the ideas and practices of the greatest thinkers. She has bottled up the magic of their philosophy and is enabling leaders to find and use their wisdom in the world of work. We will talk about wisdom as the ultimate skill that will drive resilient careers and the process of achieving it, and of course, her book, Wise Up at Work. Through this podcast, we are bringing the future of work closer to you. If you enjoy the content, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share your thoughts in the comment section below. Your views and feedback are extremely important to the development of the podcast. Enjoy our conversation. Christina, let me welcome you officially to Skills for Mars. <laughs> so, Christina Di Giacomo. Christina has worked in the corporate life for quite a long time in marketing and advertising. And uh, I think 10 years ago, right? You started in uh, consulting and you became what you you coined yourself as an industrial philosopher. You, you started studying philosophy to really help you in your management, in the corporate environment, and then you realize that actually philosophy can be used in day-to-day -day life to improve the way we do things at work. That's so. correct. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I told you I listened to your introduction. Yeah. <laughs> so, Christina, welcome to Skills for Mars. And I do want to ask you about industrial uh, philosophy and how you coined the term, what was so attractive to you in philosophy, and then we take it from there and dig, dig a dip into, in, into uh, Wise Up and uh, how we can change the way we look at things and uh, talk about leadership. Thank you. So thank you for, for the introduction. I'm happy to be here. Uh, and I'm grateful uh, for this conversation and to be in your company. Uh, so to answer that question, it, we need to go back to where I was, uh, you know, 10 years ago. Um, the, I was the typical frazzled, stressed, anxious uh, executive and, you know, dealing with all kinds of pressures self-imposed and externally imposed, uh, not really having the best experience uh, in, in the working world and really kind of bump it, bumping up against a lot of challenges for various reasons. And there were a lot of issues that I was experiencing or the symptomatic issues that I was experiencing, stress, anxiety. Uh, you know, I was, I was just bummed out all the time, sad all the time. And it wasn't until I, I think, you know, I, I had an existential crisis really where I, where I really was wondering, is this what my life is, ha, has become? Uh, is this what my life is all about? Get up in the morning, completely all, immediately stressed out about the meetings that I have going on and the issues that I have going on at work, going to work, you know, slamming down a coffee in back-to-back -back meetings, dealing with the political machinations in in my environment. Uh, you know, work a really long day, come home, shove food in my face because maybe I didn't eat lunch. Watch some TV, go to sleep, wake up again, and have the same thing happen all over again. And at some point, uh, my health started to suffer. My 
you know, my mindset was in, it was in the crapper. It was just completely destroyed. Uh, and any sort of feelings of, you know, hope or agency or feelings of motivation were completely, uh, were completely leveled. And I needed something. I really did. I needed something. And I, you know, would have, I would have taken a class in, in nautical flag signaling. Like I didn't really care. I, I would have taken a class in anything, but it just so happened that there was a, an introduction to philosophy class being offered at night for regular people. And I decided to take that class. I've, I, I am intellectually inclined and was like, okay, maybe this could be good for me. And I started to learn some of the ideas of like the greatest thinkers that made sense to me about how to live a good life and, and what it means to be wise and what it means to look at situations in a different way and go about life in the right way. And so I started applying those ideas to the challenges that I was experiencing at work and it worked. It helped. And over the course of several years, as I got more and more uh, deeper into my study, it wasn't just that I was able to deal with these sort of normal situations you deal with at work, like the disgruntled coworker or the boss that doesn't value me. Uh, I actually started to have better ideas. Uh, I was able to collaborate with people better. And I felt that I had a, a, a new sort of path in terms of leadership and, and, and the people that worked for me. Uh, you know, I had an employee tell me that I was the best boss she ever had. That's pretty huge, you know. So at some point I knew things were starting to feel much better. That doesn't mean that I didn't still work in challenging environments. As a matter of fact, as I kept going on in my career, the environments actually got worse, even though my philosophy studies got stronger, but I was able to deal with those situations in a much more uh, healthy way. And then eventually I, I found my calling. I really wanted to go all in on philosophy. And I realized that what I was applying uh, in my own life that maybe other people could find value in it too. So that's when I decided to strike out on my own, still with this notion of like, I don't want people to have days at work like I had. Like, I wouldn't wish some of the things that I experienced at my job on my worst enemy. So if that's my mentality, like, what can I do? How can I help? And so I decided, well, I have 20 years of experience in a career, in the career, in a career capacity. Uh, I also, along the way, got a master's degree in organizational change management, which really gave me uh, an understanding of how a great workplace actually comes about. And this, uh, you know, study and practice and philosophy. And so I ended up bringing all those three facets of my experience together and wanted to call it something. And so the, that's when industrial philosophy was born, which is the application of philosophical principles for the benefit of the individual in the workplace and 
the organization as a whole. And so that's just the label that I put on it because I didn't have any role models. I didn't have anyone who was already doing this that I knew at the time. And so uh, I just sort of carved out a little space for myself um, with with this passion that I have. Uh, and that's how that's how it came about. And, and that's my vocation. I'm curious, which uh, was the philosopher that really changed the way you think about work when you, were, when you started studying? Was there one in particular so, that really... Yeah, it, it, was, it was Socrates. And, and I think Socrates is a really good gateway philosopher. I mean, the Stoics are a really good gate, gateway philosophy for, for most people. But for me personally, it was Socrates. And the reason why Socrates spoke to me so clearly was he really cared about people acquiring self-knowledge. That was his that was his mission. And he went about it in such a way that really resonated with me because he didn't ever really proclaim that he was wise. He didn't really proclaim that he was smart or that he was even really a philosopher. What he did was he went out and actually started to ask people questions around what it means to have self-knowledge and what certain ideas about being wise are. And he was a real speaker. You know, he really was. And I appreciated that at, at the time that I was in my studies, because he was all about finding the truth. Not only finding the truth about ourselves, but finding the truth in any situation that you're in. And I found that really valuable. So having self-knowledge, knowing who I am was really important. And then really seeing the truth in every situation and knowing that you may not always know the truth and that you should continue to seek it was also very valuable to me. And so I always say Socrates is my favorite because he was so critical and impactful in my early sort of studies um, and was this voice that I leaned on um, when I was really trying to sort my stuff out. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned this in my book and it's true. You know, I couldn't believe that a, that a 2,500 year old assassinated dead guy could be such a source of strength uh, for me um, as I, as I, dealt with life and, and work challenges. So what were the practices to really start grounding you and get you out of that frazzled stress, Christina, and helping you to deal with those situations? Yeah. So there, there were two that are very Socratic uh, practices. The first uh, was everyone and everything that's in front of me is my teacher. Socrates had no adversaries. Now, that's kind of a radical thing to say because, you know, he was <laughs> brought up, uh, 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 he was executed by the Senate, by the Athenian Senate for going out and teaching the youth about 
philosophy and wisdom and self-knowledge. And so he died for his ideas. But the one thing that stayed consistent and constant with Socrates is that he genuinely did not look at anyone as their at his adversary. And he always looked at other people and situations as what could he learn from those situations. And so for me, that became very, very valuable because a lot of times, you know, we face situations at work and we get really upset about them and we miss out on the opportunity to understand the situation or that other person maybe a little bit better by looking at that the lesson in that situation or the lesson in in how that person is acting. And so that became important because it allowed situations that would normally make me upset, allow those situations to roll off my back because it was like, okay, right now this situation is teaching me that I need to be patient. Or right now, this person is teaching me that maybe they're in a dysfunction that I'm not aware of, and that maybe I just need to allow that person to act out and do whatever it is that they do because they're acting out of a dysfunction. So it was all of these situations that I was facing that the notion of everyone and everything that's in front of me is my teacher became very valuable. The second uh, practice that uh, is also, I feel very Socratic and is, um, that was very helpful for me is to not have any preconceptions. So not going into, uh, situations with any preconceived idea of what will happen or what that person is thinking. And that consistently allowed me to be present in the moment, but look at the situation and that person with a very clear mind. And, you know, because a lot of times we have these stories in our minds and narratives in our minds about other people and about situations. And when we let go of that and look at a situation just purely in in a realistic sense, in the moment of that reality, there are things that we see that we may not have picked up on because we're in our heads, you know, in our little preconception. And so that also, that practice became very important to me. Um, there were situations that I thought I knew a person uh, or maybe I had a judgment about a person that I ended up turning around my opinion about that person because of that practice and was able to actually have a better relationship with a person that originally was very difficult for me. And through that, you know, good work got done, you know, uh, good collaboration happened. Uh, so, you know, that's the thing about truth. The thing about looking for it is you have to be, you have to start in your own sphere and how you're perceiving your reality, how you're perceiving others' realities, um, and the situation in front of you. That's all you can do. You can't necessarily, you know, think about the truth any further than that. But it's also understanding the truth, not just your truth. Because when we talk about your truth, you get into that preconception, you get into that narrative in your mind, 
And that's not actually the truth. So, or not always the truth. It's just a story in, in thoughts in your head. So those two practices were very valuable to me. Everyone and everything that's in front of you is your teacher and do not have preconceptions um, or walk into situations with any preconceived ideas were very, very influential for me. How hard is how how hard was to get the discipline to actually use these practices and have them at your fingertips rather than always taking the time or going home reflecting and saying, okay, tomorrow I'll do better. How long did it take until they, they got really routine? So it I'm not gonna lie, it takes time, right? So again, you know, earlier you know, you and I have talked about patience. You and I have talked about that being a virtue. And with any sort of self-development, it's 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 steps, it's iterations, right? So on the one hand, it's as simple as observing, right? Observing yourself, practicing these ideas. But it doesn't mean that it's always easy. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to slip you know, or that you're not going to have a stretch of time where you're just like, you know what, screw it all, screw these ideas. I'm just going to sit in my, you know, my agony and my misery because it's delicious. And I just want to sit in that and be angry all the time. So it's a process. But I feel like really, it only took about a year for me to just take these simple steps in practicing these ideas and over time, the ability to expand uh, got more. So even though it may be a little kind of awkward at first, or you have to kind of remind yourself of these things, the benefits expand over time. So as I had mentioned in my story, at first it was like just dealing with my you know, Monday morning freak out about the status meeting. But over time, then it became, hey, I have an idea for a new department and I can now usher in this new idea. So the growth and the opportunity is exponential, but it's all small observations and reflections and just work, build, discipline is a muscle. You need to work up to that. It also not, be judgmental if maybe you're not having such a disciplined kind of day. Yeah, it, as you said, it, it gets tired. It is a muscle. And sometimes you just feel like running away and uh, not being so disciplined, but that actually helps you get back on track. That's that's how I feel about it anyway. Well, actually, you bring up a good point, Yulia, which is about testing your limits. Because once you start practicing this stuff and feeling a little bit more confident or feeling a little bit more like, Hey, I actually am in control. When you be, when you do fall off or feel out of control, or you're like, I just want to test my limits. It becomes more uncomfortable and you find yourself pulling yourself back and, and reorienting and, and recentering. So yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that. That is exactly how this is, Christina. I, we were just talking. The usual way, the usual education for for leaders in organizations doesn't really work. That's that's my feeling about it. We put them in class, 
all together. There's no separation based on their different kind of capabilities and skills. Uh, they come back, they don't have a chance to practice because they immediately uh, have to go and go about their business and uh, still get the numbers done and still work with the same uh, kind of team. And they have, they literally have very, very small chances of practicing. Two weeks later, everything is out the window. It's, it's not an investment anymore. It's just a cost for the company because there was no learning from that. But your method seems to be catching on. Is it because it's different? Is it because it's new? Is it because you bring stories to it? And the way you were just talking to me and, and, and uh, uh, telling me about Socrates and his life and where his ideas came from, does this help managers relate more to a human being that actually lived and managed to live these principles and apply them into work rather than talking about something very abstract? What makes it work and what makes it stick? So I think it's all of those things, actually, that you mentioned. You know, we have to think about things from a, from, from a full spectrum perspective. Uh, one of the things I think, and this is just a theory, but it, uh, what I've experienced is that people understand or these ideas resonate with them because they're so fundamental and universal. And there's a desire now to kind of go back to the basics in a way. The other thing is there's a certain gravitas that comes with talking about Aristotle or talking about Socrates. They're kind of like the third person in the room. So it becomes less about, you know, when I'm working with someone, I'll pull out an idea or a passage or a quote uh, related to what we're working on together and ask, okay, based on what Socrates is saying about this issue, what do you think about what he's saying? What are, what comes up? And then it becomes a discussion around what Socrates is saying, not my opinion or judgment of what that other person is, what my client is doing. And it becomes a much more like, you know, open amphitheater, you know, way of, of thinking, because then it becomes an intellectual conversation. But it's an intellectual conversation with a purpose and with it, with an action assigned to it. So it then it then becomes like, OK, now that you understand this idea and you've discussed your thoughts about it, how can we make this real? How can you make this real? And again, putting the decision uh, and and the work in their hands to see how they can apply it in their day-to-day lives keeps it from, again, me dictating or me saying, well, this is a best practice or, you know, you really should be uh, applying this leadership methodology. It's here's a, an idea about you know, uh, being magnanimous from one of Aristotle's virtues. This is what magnanimity is. What do you think about it? And then we discuss thoughts about it. Okay, then how are you going to practice this? So it becomes, this philosophy becomes the proxy. It becomes the thing that they 
act on, not what I think or human resources thinks or the employees think. It becomes a, a, a different exercise. And so, um, you know, and then also history is fun, right? It, it's, it's fun to learn about Socrates and Plato. And there is a resonance with that because they lived during plagues, wars, incivility. They've, they dealt with tyrants. I mean, there's a whole story about Plato when he met his, his first tyrant. I mean, that in and of itself, uh, you know, gets people really excited um, and how he dealt with that. But, you know, so I also feel there's an intellectual stimulation that is desired at the leadership level that what I do offers something that is completely different than uh, maybe maybe what they're what they're what they've been exposed to. So there's a curiosity there too. For sure. And that's what I actually wanted to discuss and ask if you don't feel the same, but you just you just said it. There is this crave of just intellectual discussions, just being able to sit down for an hour or two and think things through from a different perspective and not being fed with all sorts of theories and research and this is good and we know this is best practice, but actually taking the time and understanding it and reflecting on it on your own so you can then embrace it if you want to embrace it and if that's the decision in the end. So I guess you're feeling that, uh, that as well, this, uh, this crave for intellectual discussions. Yeah, and, and we're seeing that bear out. Like there are a number of CEOs that have already, you know, commented on the fact that they use philosophy or some philosophical principles in, in how they lead. And there are a number of very well-known business people who actually have degrees in philosophy. And so, you know, it's it, that's sometimes that's all it takes even for me is to say, you know, Steve Jobs applied Buddhist principles and how he designed and, and operated uh, Apple. Uh, George Soros uh, has a degree in philosophy. Peter Thiel has a degree in philosophy. Uh, Elon Musk practices Aristotle's first principles. Um, you know, there's so many examples of, of really well-known, iconic leaders who, who reference philosophy. Um, but I do believe that there's a space that is desired to sit and think. I mean, that's what I hear from executives all the time. I don't have, I, I, I don't have a moment to think. How many times have we heard them say that? And so all I'm doing is offering them a space and material uh, and, and a jumping off point to allow them that, that space to actually think about the right way of doing things. I do want to talk about this. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'll post a link as well the, uh, in the Thank description <laughs> for sure. Can you help break down wisdom for everyone? Sure. So, you know, wisdom is really using, like taking experience and knowledge and good judgment and applying it, right? So that's, those are the basic building blocks of what wisdom, what wisdom is. And Aristotle said that we are all wise. We all have it. Uh, But the challenge for us is that 
sometimes we're not aware of that or we don't listen to that or we don't exercise that or it's covered up by a bunch of other things like those stories and narratives in our minds. But wisdom really is, you know, the ability to think and act using your knowledge, experience, understanding, your common sense and insight. Uh, it, It takes the form of, you know, having good judgment, uh, again, not having any preconceived notions, um, compassion, self-knowledge, and also having a sense of, you know, not attaching or allowing yourself to be uh, swayed or your life to go in one way or another because of external circumstances. But there's a process to being wise. Uh, Some of it's conscious, some of it's not conscious. And so what the book is about is actually how to tap into this process of being wise. And it's four things. It's having clarity of thought, uh, you know, having just a a good perception of things, um, excuse me, having a good perception of things, knowing the truth of a situation. So clearly seeing things for what they are, then having the appropriate thoughts about it, you know, thinking about what you've just experienced in the right way, and then being able to deliberate, right, to think about, you know, what have you just thought about? What is the right way to go? You know, and really having that time to weigh those thoughts and weigh your decisions, and then finally to act. So seeing the truth, having the appropriate thought, the ability to, to deliberate, and then acting. And the action is so important because a lot of people think that philosophy is just all about thinking, that it's just all talk, all thinking, and no action. And that's just simply not true. We're meant to act wisely. Uh, and that's what my book is all about, is to teach people not only how to how to tap into their inner wisdom and tap into this tool, this incredibly powerful tool that we all have uh, and, and act accordingly to that. I'm curious, where do you find that when people go through this process, where do you find that they have more blockages or more difficulties understanding what philosophy tells them, how, how to use the principles, how to get disciplined with them? Are there points where you can see that it's harder for them to, to grasp the notion of wisdom? and applying it? Yeah, so it really starts at the beginning. I think where people struggle the most is their perception, is their ability to see things in, in the right way and see, you know, go beyond or, or transcend the impediment of their own perceptions. And, you know, and that's obviously like the very first step in being wise. So, you know, you can't get to the other things unless you're perceiving things clearly without judgment and without your your own thoughts kind of getting in the way of that. And we, you know, unfortunately, don't have a lot of understanding about how our thoughts function and how we and our relationship to our thoughts 
And so that's what I find with a lot of people. They, they're not even aware that a lot of times their thoughts are just a mirror or distorted image of what's actually happening. And so that education um, and that a lev- level of awareness of that problem is usually the first thing that we need to tackle. And that's the first thing that people usually struggle with. So how do you cross that bridge? Are there some uh, exercises that you really like that you think, hey, this actually helps most of the times? So uh, I can only, I can say what worked for me and this is what I teach people. First and foremost, you are not your thoughts. That's very important to understand. Uh, a lot of times our thoughts are very loud. They're they we they get very chatty, <laughs> they get very noisy in our minds, and we tend to think that that's really how you know how we should look at life because we happen to be thinking it. And our thoughts are just information that's trying to be processed based on what we know of the past or other ancillary things that have happened to us. It's really a patchwork cobbled together idea of what reality is based on our own ideas. And so the when I practice you are not your thoughts, it's in situations where I feel like I may be grinding in my mind over a situation a little bit more than I should and I'm not paying attention. I'm not you know, I'm having this this wandering mind. And so I I think to myself, I am not my thoughts, meaning, you know, there's there's a reality that's underneath all this. The second practice that's helped me and helped other people is your thoughts, and this is really more in the work context, but you know, can certainly apply to life. Uh, your thoughts about the work aren't as important as the work itself. So a lot of times I was really struggling with getting things done or I was really struggling with moving forward or moving on to a task at hand because I was still thinking about what somebody said to me in a meeting three hours ago or I was having all of these like, I don't want to do this or this doesn't help me or whatever those thoughts might be. And so I would practice you know, my thoughts about the work aren't as important as the work itself because it helped me, reminded me, like, there's still work that needs to be done. And if I could just release my thoughts about it, I could do the work. And then I know that it's done, but also that I did my part. um, And it felt just a little bit more seamless of a work experience when I reminded myself that I have all these ideas about what I'm doing and they're just these thoughts. I'm sure this will help a lot of people. Actually, they're very powerful, both of them. I, and I do find myself, as, as you did as well, thinking that hey, this is not exactly what I like doing or why am I doing this? Does this bring any value? But the work still needs to be, still needs to be done. Uh, Christina, yeah, and, I, and also... Oh, so I just want to say one thing. Um, We never know the work that we're doing, how it will impact us down the road. There are things that I did like 15 years ago 
that I was like, I can't believe I don't really want to work on this thing. I don't really want to do this thing. And I did it that now I'm like, I'm so glad that I did that work because now I have this knowledge that I'm actually, that I find useful in my present day. So just really, if we want to expand our view around that, just know that whatever is in front of you will find some way to come back and in maybe in a more positive way, that it all sort of feeds into the larger fabric of your life and of your life experience. So, you know, to resist it or to degrade it in any way may potentially be uh, degrading an opportunity further down the road to have a more meaningful experience. So I just, I wanted to just, you know, put a, put a period on the end of that. <laughs> I'm curious, do you practice uh, any sort of mindfulness? Because you are th uh, uh, talking about uh, a million thoughts uh, going through your mind. And I always find that mindfulness meditation, however people want to call it, just taking a deep breath and being present in the moment always helps. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I believe that mindfulness is a state of being and that it's a very useful tool in actually bringing these philosophical ideas into reality in, an, in a much more, um, you know, impactful way. And so, yes, I, I have, well, meditation and mindfulness feel separate to me. Uh, so, you know, meditation is going inward. And mindfulness is looking outward. So I do have a meditation practice. I meditate twice a day for 30 minutes each, uh, each time I meditate. But in terms of mindfulness, one of the things that I find I have been practicing for years and years and that I find very valuable is to actually tune into your senses, meaning your sight, your hearing, uh, sense of smell, sense of taste and, and touch just for a minute, uh, your senses are how you perceive reality. It's like the front lines of perceiving reality. So that's what mindfulness is, is to be on the front lines of perceiving reality. And tuning into your senses is the first, and I think the easiest way to do that. So, so I do practice mindfulness in, in that respect. What you're saying is very powerful, and I think it's a good way forward, a different way forward to change a bit the way we are doing things. But I do want to ask, how are you planning to scale things? Because now there are a number of people that know about you, right? That they can, they can uh, access you via coaching and personal discussions and so on. But I feel that this can, this can scale up. Do you have any plans for Christina and for More Alchemy? So I do, as a matter of fact, so in terms of, you know, you can engage me in, in team building uh, and team engagement and one-on-one -on -one advising and coaching. But the other thing that I've been working on that is, that is launching uh, actually very, very soon is I created a program called the Mental Detox. So uh, very You know, there's plenty of programs out there that help you physically detox. Uh, this is like them, but for your mind. And it combines 
philosophy and wisdom uh, practices. Uh, and I collaborated with a brain health expert who also contributed to some of the uh, content. So it's wisdom and science uh, coming together. And it's a 14-day program where you get a lesson every day on how to uh, do a mental detox. And it follows a process of observation and then changing your perspective and then living in a new way of thinking. And it really is meant to help people go from mental chatter to things that matter. And so, uh, you know, that's something that is, is coming out very soon. You'll be able to find it on the mentaldetox.com. Uh, and that's a really great way for people to engage with philosophy and really kind of help them uh, have a better relationship with their thoughts so they don't have to go through the anxiety and the stress of everything that's going on in the world. And they can, they can arrive to a point of, of clarity. Ask a question, learn about your methods, work with you. How can they do it? Yeah, just go to my website. It's my first name and last name. It's Christina DiGiacomo.com, uh, C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-D-I-G-I-A-C-O-M-O.com. Um, but I know that you're going to put it in the notes. Just go to, go to my website. And if you do, you'll get a free excerpt of Wise Up at Work, my book. And then I also have a monthly newsletter called Wise Up Monthly, where I share more of these ideas of how to apply wisdom and philosophy uh, for, for the working world. Christina, thank you so much for today. It feels like we haven't covered everything. Any, uh, everything. I would love to talk to you for three more hours, <laughs> but I know we can do it again. I know, Julia, you and I just totally nerded out. It's great. I just so enjoyed uh, speaking with you and our conversation. And I just want to say hello to everyone out there and thank you for listening and, and thank you for letting me be here. I really appreciate it. Thank you as well, Christina. And for those listening, leave us comments, ask us questions, whether that's on LinkedIn or YouTube or anywhere, we are here to answer those.